0: how do i know what i think until i see what i say the green notebook carried by military leaders around the world within those pages are sweat tears triumphs and the hard-won lessons of life lessons worth sharing each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Hey, it's Joe here, and every morning before I crack open a book or sit down to do some writing, the first thing I do is brew an amazing cup of Alpha coffee. They make premium 100% arabica coffee, and Alpha has some of my favorite blends. They have Don Patrol, which is a nice medium light breakfast blend. I also enjoy Charlie Don't Surf, which is a medium Kona blend, and I even get to take Alpha coffee to work with me because they also make K-cups. Not only do they have great coffee, They're a great veteran-owned business who has shipped over 20,000 bags of coffee to deploy troops. They also offer a 10% discount to members of the military and first responders. And Alpha Coffee has been an awesome company to partner with at From the Green Notebook. So taste the Alpha difference and purchase their coffee today at www.alpha.coffee or via Amazon Prime. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the notebook of Seth Godin. Now, when I started this podcast back in 2020, Seth Godin was one of the people I wanted to interview, and I finally got the opportunity to catch up with him. He's a marketing genius who was inducted into the American Marketing Association's Marketing Hall of Fame. He's published over 20 books, and his ideas have influenced so many of the brands that you and I would recognize today. And he's also a blogger who's published a blog post every single day for over 8,000 and something days now. In this episode, we talk about the difference between talent and skill, how to change organizational culture, different types of leaders, and he shares ideas on how to connect with our newest members of the military. There's so much wisdom packed into this episode that you may want to listen to it more than once. So grab your notebooks and welcome to the show, Seth Godin. I guess here I am. Welcome to the show. Good to meet you, Joe. Hey, it's great meeting you, Seth. Before we talk about your latest book, the practice, shipping, creative work, I'd like to go back to the previous book. This is marketing about a phrase that you wrote that stuck with me over the last like four or five years, and it's kind of shaped a lot of what I do. And that is, uh, people like us do things like this. I was wondering if you'd spend just a few minutes before we talk about the practice on uh, on what that means. Well, there's so many things in it that are useful
1: to people who understand what a green notebook is. It's about unit cohesion, and units exist in all forms of our culture, not just the traditional bureaucracies of government agencies. But you have a way of walking into a restaurant that's different than someone who's walking into a restaurant in Kenya, that there is a different culture at the local high school than there is at the private high school that the definition of culture is the way we do things around here. And if we don't understand culture, then we can't make change happen. So what I am trying to help people do is make things better by making better things. But the definition of better is going to be driven by culture. So if the culture is broken and we're seeing pockets of that all around us, we got to start by fixing the culture. Who are the people like us? that we seek to influence, and who are the outsiders. And once we figure out who the people like us are, how do we determine what the things like this are? One of the things that we've seen when we talk about the word valor is that in appropriate settings, people who have committed to a military career have made it very clear about what it is to do things like this. And when they get out of hand, then we end up with, you know, deplorable scandals. But when they don't get out of hand, we end up with unit cohesion and a group of people who can be counted on to color inside whatever lines the group has decided are appropriate without somebody monitoring them at all times.
0: I know for me personally, it made me think about the decisions I make every day about what I purchase, about what I do in the morning with my time, about how hard I go during a workout. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, again, it's one of those things that once you hear it once, you can't shake it out of your head. You know, I say to myself in my head, people like us do things like this and I'll push it one more rep. I'll make sure I get up early to do my reading reflection because that's what people like me do. Right. Exactly. And uh, I have found it's been so beneficial. Yeah. And all motivation is self-motivation.
1: And what happens is when we have a coach or go through basic training, is someone is trying to take external standards and apply them to us so they will become internal standards. And that's a key part of what the practice is about, is to understand that we can adopt new internal standards if we want to.
0: That's a great segue to to the book, The Practice. So what does that mean? And I know it's the subtext on it is shipping creative work, but it, it goes beyond that, right?
1: Well, three words. Shipping means... There's a difference between noodling on it, thinking about it, imagining it, and doing it. Creative is something that someone else didn't tell you to do, something that might not work, something new, something human. And work is things that we do to make a difference. Things that we do maybe to get paid, but maybe not. Maybe because someone asks us to, but maybe not. But what makes it work is we can point to it and say, I made this. So I think that's pretty broad shipping creative work. I don't need to claim anything bigger than that.
0: I agree. So let's let's start with one of the first things that you talk about the book is the importance of the process.
1: So the process is different than talent. And I think those are the two choices. The thing about talent is that talent is a trap. You know, you and I are talking by video, but Judging from where I sit, I don't think you're six foot nine or even six foot seven. No, no. <laughs> so you are not going to play basketball in the NBA, no matter how hard you try. Right. Being tall is a talent. You are born with the potential to be tall. And no matter how hard you try, you can't be tall. But almost everything else in our lives that matters is a skill. And a skill is something we can learn. A skill is something we can get better at. And so I think we have to distinguish between skills and talents. And the way you get a skill is by having a practice. The way you get a skill is by setting up a standard for yourself, self-motivation, a calendar, a schedule, process, so that your skills improve. And I believe that creativity is not a talent. I don't think that Bob Dylan has a special talent. I think Bob Dylan has a skill.
0: It's funny that, that you say that. I've been thinking about writing about a certain topic and uh, I just couldn't figure out where to go with it. And there was something that I used to do that I stopped doing because I got so busy the last six, seven months. And that is I would go back to everything that I read and I would transfer my highlights into a notebook. And so I sat down over this break that I've I've been on for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I started doing that, waking up every single morning at the same time and starting that process again. And all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, I was able to write more in two days than I have over the last four, five, six months because I went back to the process. Exactly. Love to hear that. Yeah. And so one of the things that when you talk about the process is you, you have a quote in the book that I love, and it says, the process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. Where did that come from and what do you mean by it? I might be quoting somebody there. Yeah, it's, a, it's Elizabeth King. Thank
1: you. Elizabeth, who is an extraordinary artist, and she and I spent some time talking together after I read that quote. It was a few years ago, so forgive me. Poverty of Intentions, What that means is if you're going to wait until you're in the mood, if you're going to wait until you have the right emotional moment, they're going to be few and far between. There was a blog for me today, and there's going to be a blog for me tomorrow. There's going to be a blog for me the day after that. There's been a blog for me 8,000 days in a row. And it's not because each day I felt like writing a blog post. It's because it was tomorrow. So I don't have to wait to decide if, A blog post is good enough. I just have to wait till tomorrow.
0: I've talked a lot about this with my own organization in the terms of uh, physical fitness. A lot of times in the military, we will wake up in the morning without a plan and we will get together and we will have a conversation. You know, hey, what do you feel like doing today to work out or whatever? And whatever you do is based off the moods, the feelings, Mm -hmm. how much sleep the people got the night before. And so one of the things that I've tried to get people to do is to program out the workout so they become choiceless choices. Yep. (laughs) The only choice you have to make is to show up and then the rest is taken care of for you. The workout is there and all you have to do is execute it.
1: Correct. That's a practice.
0: Why do you think people struggle with that so much?
1: Well, we have been brainwashed into wanting to do things that are convenient Convenience is the cornerstone of modern marketing. And it is inconvenient to do a workout you don't feel like. It is inconvenient to do a workout when you have a hangover. So it's easier to just not. But at the same time, we have built patterns for ourselves where we sign up for things that can become important. And it might be that we sign up when it's convenient, but then we are committed after that. So people, buy a car with 36 monthly payments. They have to make each payment after that, whether it's convenient or not, because otherwise they lose their car. And so the car dealer struggles to make buying the car feel convenient. But after that, you have to do something 36 more times that's not convenient. That's the only way to get a car.
0: And if you want to be fit, the only way to do it is to do things that are inconvenient. That's a great point. And speaking of fitness, another thing that that comes to mind too, that you hit on in the book, and it could be anything, being a leader, being into fitness, being a writer, whatever, is uh, a lot of times people start with the noun instead of the verb. Like I want to be a leader. Even I see it all the time in the army. People want to join because they like the idea of being in the army. But then when it actually comes to doing army things, not so much. What have you learned about you know, the verb versus the noun?
1: Well, you're bringing up two things. First of all, the masses of people who enlist in the army are seduced not by the actuality of the army, but by the storytelling of the army, which is largely created by people who aren't in the army. (laughs) That's so Uh, true. And so I'm amazed that anybody sticks it out. I mean, I guess the alternative is ending up in the brig in Fort Dix or something, but You get there, it can't possibly be like the TV commercials. It just can't. So let me broaden it as someone who has never served in any institution like that, which is if you want to lead, lead. Don't wait to get picked, to be called a leader. The way you become a leader is by leading, and then someone calls you a leader. And even in an institution like the Army, where there are labels for everything and ranks for everything, someone at the lowest rank can still lead. You don't lead with authority, you lead with responsibility. You lead by example, you lead by contribution, you don't lead because you have a piece of paper or a badge. And if you want to lead, start now.
0: Going back to what what was in the Army commercials, it's such a small piece of it. And I think for me, one of the things I've been in for 18 years now, and I've probably change jobs every two years. Like, I don't think I've held down a job for more than 12 months. But what that has allowed me to do is I've done so many different things now that by doing, I've learned so much about myself in the process. And I've learned now at 41, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what gives me energy, what takes away energy. So in that respect, it is, it's almost like a, 18 year choose your own adventure type setting for me.
1: Yeah. And also it comes with out worrying about having a crazy boss who is going to do things like we see in the private sector, nor does it come with worrying about stock options or whether the organization is going to go out of business or not. It comes with a lot of life or death things too, but the stability of the foundation gives independent actors like yourself the chance to choose their own adventure. Because you can see that for hundreds of years, people have come before you and there are paths that are available to folks who want to lead into it. And the extraordinary thing about that is there's also a foundation in the private sector. We just don't see it as often. Like when I worked in my first field job at Spinnaker Software, that company's not here anymore. And when I was a VP at Yahoo, that company's not here anymore. And, you know, I've built projects and sold them and they're not here anymore. But the process continues. And so figuring out that there's a process that will continue is a treat, a, an opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I, I will push back on something you said. You said uh, something about crazy bosses. I think that uh, there's <laughs> qu- quite a few people uh, serving the military would be like, no, I, I have a crazy boss. But I will say even, even there, it gives us an opportunity. I'm really big on agency, Seth. And so like, even in those moments, you have an opportunity to learn from somebody yeah. and learn what not to do um, yeah. in that moment. So you you do get to take a little bit of ownership back, but I have worked for some-, uh, for some- I'm sure, <laughs> yes, that's- I was hesitating to name names in the private sector, but you can fill in the blank of the no, people- I, I No, I know, I know. Well, one of the things that you talk about too in the practice- You know, we're talking right now a lot about action, a lot about the process. Um, But one of the things that you also push back against is people's concern with the outcome.
1: Mm -hmm. Concern isn't the right word. The right word is attachment. Mm. And attachment is a Buddhist term, and it's really important. What it means to be attached. So let me give you the analogy that I think helps people understand this. If you and I wanted to swim together across... Uh, canoe Lake in Algonquin Park, Canada. There are two ways that we could imagine doing it. One way we could imagine doing it is I could say, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to stay six to eight feet away from you. And if either of us gets in trouble, we'll help each other. That's a smart way to, to swim across a, a, a lake. The other way to do it is to get six foot lengths of rope and connect my arm to your arm, my leg to your leg. If we did that, we would drown. Because being attached to the other person, physically attached, makes it so that we cannot swim, we won't be focused on the swimming. So what it means to be attached to the outcome is that while you are doing the work, you are spending all of your energy imagining how the recipient will receive the work. You are spending all of your energy when you're writing the book, imagining the one-star review. All of your energy imagining what the person on the parade grounds is going to think as you walk by. If you become attached to that other person and their opinion, which is out of your control, you will not be able to do your work. And so, you know, I haven't read one of my reviews on Amazon in 10 years. And the reason is because it's not going to make my writing better. And if I'm thinking in advance whether Joe's going to like my new book or not, I can't write. And so do the work, simply. Do the work. The best you can do it without attachment for what the other person is going to do, because that's out of your control.
0: I actually, when I got to that portion of the book, I wrote so many notes next to those lines because I think a lot of times in the military, you know, for us, our performance evaluations are the gateway to the next rank. And so a lot of times people get so focused on that. That they don't lead how they would have led if they didn't have to worry about it. They had this hum of anxiety in the back of their heads the entire time they're in a position. And then they have zero control. There's so many factors. Right. You know, everything from the leader didn't have enough, you know, uh, top reports to give that person to, uh, they just didn't like the way they do business. And so they weren't going to get one anyways. And so I've watched way too many people throughout my career so focused on that thing on the other side that they completely miss the day-to-day stuff, the stuff that happens by the minute, by the hour. And uh, again, I think that like triggered me when I read it, Seth, because I just started writing like crazy during it. (laughs) Are you challenging yourself with your current workout program? Are you really challenging yourself? If the answer is no, kind of, or maybe let me introduce you to our newest partners and the program I've started using to kick my butt, improve my endurance, and increase my mental toughness. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab provides guided training and on-demand workouts from your phone, tablet, TV, or computer. No matter your level of fitness, they have workouts for you. Their programs are used by elite groups such as Special Operations Forces, wildland firefighters, backcountry hunters, and more. And they are offering forty percent off their annual subscription for FTG and listeners when you use the code FTGN40ALPHA at checkout. That's FTGN40A at checkout. So go to www.mtntuff.com and let the team at Mountain Tough Fitness Lab help you physically and mentally so you can start leading with the best version of yourself. I wrote a book Titled My Green Notebook, Know Thyself Before Changing Jobs. It's a 30-day guided reflection. It was this idea of like helping kickstart people into the process of journaling, of writing their thoughts down. And uh I remember all the reviews were great at first. And then I got the one-star just initial review. And, you know, like it it was clearly you know, somebody who just wasn't into that practice, who wanted the answers handed to them. And it was what you wrote in the practice about not getting sucked into the anonymous trolls Yeah, that all that person did was say that they aren't for me, you know? Yeah. That
1: review gave you an accurate look into who they were. It told the reader nothing about your book. And it's so dangerous to read those reviews because they stick with us for a long time because there's a vulnerability that comes from doing this work. The same way, if you could you know, wire the barracks and listen on a secret microphone to what people you had just spent the whole day leading were saying to each other, tomorrow would not go better. Tomorrow would go worse. <laughs> that sort of anonymous feedback isn't going to help you be the leader you want to be.
0: There's a great quote from Nassim Taleb that he wrote in Fold by Randomness. It says, unless you have confidence in the ruler's reliability, if you use a ruler to measure a table, you may also be using the table to measure the ruler. Yeah. It's telling us more about the people who aren't like us Correct. than it is telling us about our performance in those, in those moments.
1: Yes, well said.
0: And I think that's one of the challenges with leading today. Especially for military leaders, is that we do have a lot of anonymous sites uh on social media, a lot of anonymous accounts that will attack people leading today for decisions they make. And so it's it's real easy to allow those to get you down, um, especially when they're it's questioning your judgment and uh and not exactly providing any sort of useful feedback to you. And now we get back to the the
1: ideas in this is marketing, because we are seeing throughout our culture that many people in the population admire someone who is certain more than they admire someone who is right and if you are marketing your leadership to people who are seeking certainty then revealing insecurity to them is going to make it so that it's going to be hard for them to follow you so we have to figure out who our customer is who is it for and what's it for and There are definitely pockets and circles of people, not just in the armed forces, but everywhere, who want the leader to show up and say, I know the answer, we're going this way. And even if the leader is wrong, they are happy to be part of something like that. There are other parts of our culture where we want leaders to show up and say, these are the things I'm considering, which one, and then they decide, right? Because that shows someone who has rational approaches to problem solving And, you know, I'm much more likely to want to follow that sort of leader, but that's just me. So one of the things that we have going on in the armed forces is you've got all these people who are ostensibly volunteers, but who volunteered for TV commercial work. And what is it that they need to feel confident in showing up tomorrow? And your leadership style has to match their leadership reception. Otherwise, the transmission is not going to go through.
0: It's funny, as as you were talking, I was thinking about how I lead and, and how I've seen people lead. And, and what I've noticed is that when everything is going okay, most people will respond to the leader that you respond to. The one who says, Hey, here's all the factors. You know, what do you think? What do you think? Okay. I've heard your opinions on these. Now this is what we're going to do. Um, but when things start hitting the fan, and uh, everything starts going south and and the organization is in a moment of crisis, then people want somebody to follow that's decisive, that says, hey, this is the way they're going. Everybody gets very quiet when things start going south Yeah, and, uh, and people don't know what to do. Right. And we see it all fall apart is
1: when someone who used to be the richest man in the world lets his ego take over. Right. Because When Elon Musk is just barking out irrational orders, there is still a group of people who say, great, at least there's someone who knows what they're doing, but it's brittle and it's a form of leadership that's non-resilient. And so what we have to find is somebody who is in a position when things are falling apart, who has the confidence to move forward,
0: but not the hubris to... Be sure that they're right all the time. And that's beautiful, Seth. Again, this is something I think about all the time and every day because, you know, I sit here and I talk on the podcast and I write, but then I have to go live it from 6.30 in the morning to (laughs) Mm -hmm. to five o'clock in the evening. And so, yeah, this is is something I think about all the time. So how would you suggest, you know, somebody coming into the culture of an organization, um, like how they should approach it to kind of feel it out?
1: Well, back to where we started. People like us do things like this. Who are the people like us? What are the things like this that they have done? So when Tim Cook shows up to take over Apple, he would be making a mistake if he decided to act just like Steve, because he doesn't know how to act like Steve, and he can't act like Steve. But he can take a hard look at what the religion of Apple is like. And what makes something a religion is that there's a scripture and a, a series of Processes, there's insiders, there's outsiders, there's a hierarchy. What makes somebody come to work every day? I got to tell you, it's not the logo. It's what's it like around here? People like us do things like this. And then over time, there's this combination of trust and authority. The trust that says this person isn't going to do things like the person who came before, but I trust that they will advance this. In a certain way. And then there's the authority that comes from saying, this next decision I'm making isn't a decision Steve would have made. It's not a decision Patton would have made, but it's a decision I am making. And if people like us trust me to go forward, here we go. The issue isn't, are you going to be right every time? The issue is, do you have a leadership practice that reflects the culture of the institution so that the cycle can go to the next thing? So if we look, at the way Microsoft has been turned around from the disastrous leadership of Steve Ballmer, what the new leadership did was understood why people want to work at Microsoft in the first place. And it had nothing to do with bluster. And it had nothing to do with barking out commands. It had to do with getting to the heart of why you want to even make software. And so if we can figure out how to get back to the first principles of why people are on the bus to begin with, it gets easier to drive the bus.
0: So going back to the military, I believe, because this was my case, and I I think it's the case for a lot of people that join. I believe that people join the military to do something better with their lives than what they were doing before. Mm -hmm. And they want to do that in the service of something that's considered honorable to other people. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the topic of status you've written about, so as as I lead, people like us want to do things to get better. And sometimes I think we forget it, you know, the longer we're in, I think we, we get happy with the homeostasis with happy with the status quo. And so one of the the things that I, I try to do is to remind people why we join, we join to get better, to, you know, to get better physically, get better mentally, um, to become better leaders. And so I, it's, it's something that you know, it's it's an everyday thing. It's not right. a slogan on a uh a poster on or a anything bus. like that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think the the key, and that's a brilliant insight on your part, John. The key is the word better. Because the word better can mean lots of different things. And in the short run, what we feel is an esprit de corps. What we feel is to be part of something, what we feel is the satisfaction of following instructions and exceeding expectations by just a little bit. That that feeling is something you can bring them in one day. And if you can get people hooked on that feeling, now you have an engine in place that lets you move in a given direction. So if the group is used to doing a mile run together every day and you get them to do a mile and a half run and they feel together the exhilaration that comes from having achieved that small increment, tomorrow you're going to have an even easier time, because you can sell them the same feeling, because you're going to keep redefining better over time. Because the fact is, with almost a million people, the armed forces can't measure a good day's work by which country did we invade today, because there's too many people and there's not enough countries. That's not what any given person does on any given day. What they do is a small slice of being part of an institution, but you can turn the dial on better so that people can experience that feeling again and again. This is one of the things that's interesting about Olympic athletes. One of the worst days in the life of an Olympic athlete is the day after the Olympics, because you realize you're never going to feel the feeling ever again. And that's why you don't normally run into people who are in their 40s who are living their best life, who are also people who won an Olympic gold medal at 21.
0: Yeah. And I, again, like everything you're talking about, and for people that are listening to this, we are no longer doing a podcast. It's just a personal coaching session with Seth Godin right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm learning a lot from you, my friend. Yeah. It's it's this idea of the hedonic treadmill, right? Like if only I can get promoted, right? Like I'll be happier. If only... I can get this position that I've been trying for 14 years to get whatever. I'll be happy. And what I've learned through the process of reading, writing, and reflection, it's the practice. Yeah, That's what matters. It's the day-to-day stuff. If you're getting joy, getting energy from that, then you're on the right path. Yeah. And I believe what
1: almost all humans want after they find safety, which is why many people who sign up for the army do is to find safety, to get out of a precarious place where they don't feel a firm foundation, is they want significance. What can I do today that feels significant to me? And that's a leadership opportunity. And too often, people who have been in the service for a long time become bureaucrats instead. And bureaucrats don't offer people a chance for significance.
0: Wow. Yeah. Seth, I'm currently writing a series on this... uh... I send out a weekly email called the Sunday email. Again, it's a choiceless choice. I have to do it. It's every Sunday. I bet it
1: comes out on Sundays. I'm just guessing.
0: It does. It does. Yeah. And right now I'm exploring the hero's journey and how that's how that helps people find their purpose, find their why. And um I, I read Joseph Campbell and he talks about this journey begins where Maslow's hierarchy of needs ends. Mm. And that's that's what I heard when you said that. You know, once once those are taken care of, right? Like safety water, food, a roof over the head, then what, right? And so it's this sense of purpose, this sense of meaning. That's what really drives people to get up every day.
1: Yeah. No, I think that there's so much profundity in Maslow. He's, for me, lost the thread a little bit when it's called self-actualization, because I don't think the word self belongs there. At least in our culture, actualization comes from leadership and connection, not from self anything.
0: Yeah. Well, I uh, we got way off the. Sorry. No this <laughs> this was amazing. We went uh, we went deep philosophical today. We have about seven eight minutes. I, I want to real quick um, talk to you about writing because that's one of the things that, that uh, from the green notebooks provided. For people in the military is an opportunity to write and share their lessons Mm -hmm. with others. But writing also is an opportunity to just crystallize your thoughts and and to reflect. You've talked a lot about this as well. I, I just want to know, get your thoughts on it.
1: Writing is interesting in that it's only a thousand years old and it's starting to go away, but I find there's no substitute for the idea that. You're not speaking in real time, which has its own hangups going with it. I can't say, wait, Joe, go back. I want to repeat that sentence. Nor are you just doodling and you're the only person who's going to see it. That the idea of writing, whether it's just on a blog under an anonymous name or writing someone a letter or whatever place you're writing is, this is going on my permanent record. I've thought about what I'm going to say. I've said it as clearly as I know how to say it, and then I'm going to ship it to the world. And my friend Matt, who runs Automatic, which powers more than a third of the internet, they don't have email for their 2,000 employees. Everything there is on an internal blogging platform, which means that if you have an argument you want to make, you've got to write it out as clearly as you can and then comment on somebody else's writing. And that's how they make all of their decisions. And having a reading and writing culture creates this dynamic where you're not rewarded by how charismatic you are, the color of your skin or your height or your gender. You're rewarded because you know how to read and write and play with ideas. And guess what? That's what we do now. And so getting good at it is not a talent. It's a skill. In my high school yearbook, my English teacher wrote, you are the bane of my existence and you will never amount to anything. And in college, I took exactly one English class. This is not something I was born with. It's something I learned to do because it makes me and the people who read my work better. And it is available to anybody who knows how to speak.
0: I started out blogging and I was absolutely terrible. I still have a ways to go. But what I what I learned, Seth, was that over time, uh, again, this idea of doing the verb first, uh, I slowly became a writer because I just kept doing it and I got better at it. And Steve Pressfield's got this amazing quote. He says, writing is weird medicine as I sit down, not knowing what I think. And then all of a sudden I get up knowing exactly what I think. Paraphrase, I probably messed it up a little bit. No, nope, You got it. <laughs> and so that's what it's been for me. That's how I think that I've learned more about myself through writing, through the daily practice of journaling, through blogging. Blogging for me is like a social contract with people Mm -hmm. because other people are reading it and I have to be able to, you know, back up through action what I write about. So I I just think it's such a powerful medium that not enough people do. uh, And there's so many benefits from it.
1: Yeah. And we're not talking 140 characters and we're not talking about rapid response talking about thoughtfully describing something you saw or something you're going to do so that other people can see the mark that you are trying to make, the lights you're trying to turn on, the doors you're trying to open for them.
0: Well, Seth, is, as we uh, wind down, I have two questions. First question is, uh, I know you're an avid reader. I was listening to some podcasts in preparation for that, ordered some books through that. But what what books would you recommend to folks that are trying to get into to reading and, and and want to become better leaders want to want to learn more about getting into the practice and, and that the potentials of what they could be
1: the most important book you're ever going to read is the one you write so I think that that's the first thing is people should start a writing habit my friend Roz Zander and Ben Zander wrote a book called The Art of Possibility
0: that's one I just ordered
1: <laughs> it, will, it will change your life if you're not a reader reader the audiobook is delicious and delightful hard to find but worth it And then I'm going to say, find a habit. Like I've written 21 books. I don't care which one you read. I don't really make money when you buy books, but find a habit, find something that's worth reading on something that you're sort of interested in and then do it again and do it again and do it again. That there are plenty of authors that are easy to recommend. You know, Malcolm Gladwell will change the way you look at the world. Ramon Ray's book is really good. I could go down a very long list, but you don't need me to go down a list. We don't have a shortage of book recommendations. We have a shortage of book reading. So go do that.
0: Thanks, Seth. If, uh, if people are first time they've I've ever heard of, uh, of Seth Godin, where can they find you? Where can they, they find your work?
1: If you just type Seth into Ecosia or Google or whatever, you'll find me. My 9,000 blog posts are all there for free. Start with those. I have a podcast called The Kimbo. We've done 250 episodes. Well, I've done 250 episodes. And um, there I am. It's hard to avoid me.
0: Well, Seth, thank you so much for your time today. This, was a, this is a great discussion, part podcast, part personal coaching, uh, helping me work through some stuff. So I, I appreciate your time. I know you're extremely busy.
1: A real pleasure. Thank you for the work you do, Joe. Such a pleasure to meet you. Good luck and happy new year.
0: Happy new year to you. Thank you again for listening to another episode of From the Green Notebook podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us gain visibility and the opportunity to help more people on their leadership journey. Also, make sure you check out our website at www.fromthegreennotebook.com. There, you can listen to past episodes, read leadership articles written by military leaders from around the world, You can sign up for our monthly reading list email where you can learn about new books that are coming out and our Sunday reflection email that comes out every Sunday morning is really short. It's a two minute read, but I guarantee you it's going to start your week off on the right foot. Finally, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FTG notebook, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for from the green notebook. Again, thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. I am humbled by the opportunity to learn these lessons alongside you. So please join us next week for another episode of From the Green Notebook, where we're going to help you lead with the best version of yourself.